0: Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. Real quick, everybody take a second and I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to go... Oh, yeah. One more time on three. One, two, three. Do you smell that? Does it smell a little bit like a new cologne that I'm wearing? (laughs) It's called Toilet de la Worcestershire. It's a new southern cologne you get when you spill Worcestershire sauce. All If that's how you say it, Worcestershire sauce. It's a French thing. So... If I smell like that this morning, that is what happened. So it's, uh, it's going to be hitting the markets later on this year. Anyway, this morning, um, I'm not really going to preach this morning. I'd like to just kind of talk to you, if that's okay. And we're just going to talk about three different things, and then we are going to go and do a very old, awesome tradition that uh, in the Old Testament they called the feast, the feasting. So after this, we are going to go and we're going to feast at Ocean Isle Beach. So three things I want to talk about this morning. Uh, I want to talk about vision a little bit, but I'm not going to talk about vision as as real focused vision, but I'm going to talk about it just in the broad sense for this church. Um, Expectations we can expect as a church, and then two beliefs that I hold true. Uh, there's many more, but I just want to kind of hit two of them this morning that if you attend church here, if you are around me for any p- le- uh, period of time, these are two beliefs that are in me so ingrained that you can't help but catch them. It's just a part of who I am. It's a part of the DNA of this church, and it's... Um, uh, um, it's just things that I hold true, and they're not going to change. So I'd like to read a few verses before we get started, and we will get into it. Very first first Matthew. The blank page of Matthew. Okay, Nineteen, uh, go th- uh, chapter 28, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Next verse, Romans, Paul speaking, writing this letter to the church at Rome on his way there, but not there yet. And we know that all things work together for the good. All things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And one more in Matthew 16, Jesus speaking to the disciples. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? Um, real quick kind of overview history of um, the Vineyard. A lot of people have asked me exactly what is a Vineyard church? What does it mean? What are some of you guys' core beliefs? And so I just want to take a second just to kind of talk to you about that. But there's going to be lots more information that you could find um, on the website. And we even have some uh, pamphlets here that have... Uh, a lot of the statements of faith and beliefs and all that. But the vineyard was started in 1975. It was started out in California, and it was an offshoot of Calvary Chapel. And it wasn't like a split thing, but it was a good thing. It was, it, the churches were growing. They didn't have room, so they started another church, and that church led to another church, another church. And so uh, from 1975 to now, there this is what we call the vineyard today. There are 1,500 vineyards in the world. There are over 600 of them in the United States, which most of them are located probably in California or Ohio. So if you're from one of those places, you're like, oh yeah, but if you're from here, you're kind of like, well, what exactly is a vineyard? Uh, My personal experience with the vineyard is when me and my wife came and moved up here, we started attending the Vineyard Church in uh, Myrtle Beach, Uh, Pastor Tim Holt, and just really fell in love with the church, loved it. And sitting there in the middle of a service one day, just really kind of felt like God speak to me and say, you are supposed to start a church, at which point I just busted out in tears, like, no, this is not you, Lord. And you know it's God because you don't want to hear it. And so I'm sitting there and the service is over and the pastor just comes and he's talking to me like, you know, is everything okay? And I'm just like, no, not really. And i tell them, you know, this is what's happening. This is what I kind of feel like God's saying. And it's a total change of pace because my mindset for for years before that was, I'm a missionary. Uh, I've spent a lot of time over in Indonesia and India, um, just all different types of places, and just love that type of lifestyle. That's me. If it was up to me, I would be with a backpack in a tent in the middle of the jungle somewhere and be perfectly, perfectly happy. Not in the jungle, jungle, but the jungle by the beach. Let me let me make that clear. There has to be a wave, like, within a certain parameter. So, um, but this is my mindset. This is what I'm thinking. Then God says, you know, s- you know, do this church. And So I'm a part of the Vineyard Church and just really feeling like, hey, when we start this thing, I don't want to be alone in it. I just don't want to go out and start a church and it just be you know whatever i need some kind of accountability where people are saying hey this is you're doing this wrong or this and so i just talked to tim and really felt like hey let's let's plant a vineyard church and the vineyard is not a denomination it's a association so each vineyard church that you go to no matter where you're at in the united states or global each one is autonomous meaning that each one has its own governing uh, body that has its own way of doing things and how So you could go to Ohio, and the church could look completely different than this one. Um, You go just to Myrtle Beach, and it could look completely different, although we are very similar to the church in Myrtle Beach in, in terms of just structure and the way that we do things. And so it's really hard to say, well, this is kind of the groundwork foundation of what makes a Vineyard Church because each one is kind of different. But one of the amazing, really good things about the Vineyard is the freedom to disagree. The freedom to, you don't have to believe everything that I believe. You are allowed to have a different opinion. You don't have to say that A, B, and C. But no, you could have different thoughts. Hey, I I, I take a different stance on this, this certain issue or this certain issue. And yet, you know, we're all still family. We all still come together for the same purposes and the same love of God. And that is kind of... Uh, my kind of introduction to the vineyard was okay here here 's a place where it 's not a dictatorship it 's not a one man show there 's not this kind of hierarchy of of people that you go to, but it 's everyone, even all of the leaders inside the vineyard pastor their own churches. So it's like it's not a theoretical type of thing. Everyone is in the game together. And so when Tim comes to me or other pastors come to me, it's like I know they're experiencing the exact same thing that I'm going through. And they're helping me along the way. Now part of the plan to, to plant the church was we had to write a two-year plan. What is your church going to look like for the first two years? So I wrote this amazing amazing plan. You know, it was just awesome. This is what we're going to do. A, B, C, and D. And we're going to do this over here. And this, we have this really awesome new idea for how we're going to do small groups. And then this new idea of how we're going to get people. And for the first year, we tried to do all of it and everything failed. (laughs) I don't think we succeeded on like one single thing that we set out to do. And so somewhere in the process, I kind of wised up and said, okay, God, I'm sorry. What would you like us to do? And so really, for the last year and a half, I've just kind of stepped back and just watched and said, okay, God, where do you have us as a church in this community? What, what needs can we fill? Um, are we producing better followers of Jesus Christ? Are we making disciples? And how are we going to measure success? How are we going to know if we're being this church that you want us to have here in this county? What is going to be our measure of success? And see, everyone has their own measures of success. Um, Each company, each organization, um, even even churches. You know, for some churches, it's the number of people that they could gather on a Sunday morning determines success. For some, it's the amount of money that they could collect determines their success for some it's the amount of programs that they have determines their success and so if they have this this and this well then they consider themselves and I'm not saying that's not nothing bad that's fine if that's what they want to do and so there's all these ways of determining and measuring success and and we have them in our own lives for our own jobs and our own spiritual walk and our children and our marriages and so we have all these but the question is is how will we define success how will this church define success so keep that question in your mind and we will get back to that in, s- in a second I want to look at uh, three different companies and talk a little bit about them first one Apple this logo right here this company is what I would call a innovator this is someone that looks at the conditions of the market they're surrounding what they're trying to do and they don't give people just what they want but they give people what they need they get they're they're the ones that are kind of ahead of the curve and they kind of see things coming and they produce a product that people need that it challenges the status quo because after all an ipad (laughs) why who would want this thing and yet they have billions and billions of sales because they saw ahead of time that people are going to be reading their books on these things, and then all of a sudden all these other companies began to follow. Um, and so this is an innovative company. Uh, next one, Walmart. This would be a company that I would call is on a race to the bottom. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in, in, in business sense, a race to bottom is we are trying to sell the most amount of product at the lowest possible price. So our goal as an organization is we want to sell to the masses and we want to sell to them at an extremely low price. So they're racing to the bottom. So anyone else that is beating their price, they're trying to do their best as a company to undercut them and to provide a same product for a lower price. Now the next one is the craftsman. This is the company. This is the small uh, company. Usually, you know, maybe a few employees, maybe even up to 100 employees. These are the guys that hand make things. These are the guys that do custom cabinets and custom floors that make really amazing things out of wood and clay. And this is the artist. This is the painting that there's only one of. And this person, uh, their business model is uh, around the idea of not to be the lowest price, not to be the most innovative, but to provide a quality that no one else is providing, that only they can do. Okay, what's the point of all this? The point of all this is these three companies, and there are these three examples of companies, innovators, race to the bottoms, craftsmen, these are, these are three business models that they have. And they produce things inside of this model. And whether you realize it or not, your framework for those companies revolves around each one of those parameters. So in other words, Walmart, here is their framework. Produce a product at a low price. Now, if they stop producing that product at a low price, you're going to go somewhere else. And all of your expectations are around that thought. So, I go into Walmart expecting to pay a low price. I go to Apple expecting a product that is going to be innovative, that's going to be ahead of the curve, that's not going to break down on me. But I don't expect to pay the lowest price for it. The same thing with a craftsman. I expect something that's going to be a higher quality that I pay for than what I pay for at Walmart. Yes, it's it's going to be a whole lot more, but it's a whole lot more quality. So the second that this craftsman stops producing a product that's a lower quality than what I can get it for at Walmart, what happens? I buy it at Walmart. And see everything that we have is with inside this framework of what our expectations are. If you could buy something cheaper somewhere else. I'll go somewhere else. Or if I could get this type of quality from this person for this. See, there's this framework. What's my point? My point is we have the same kind of framework for the church. You have a set of parameters and set of expectations of things that I look for in a church. And if they don't fit inside of them, we look for a different church, which is okay. We look for something that Fits inside of those parameters. The only problem with this is everyone that comes in here has a different set of parameters, a different set of ideas of what church should look like. Well, this is what church should look like. And if they don't meet this need, well, then I'm going over here. Or if they don't meet this need, well, I'm going over here. So there's all these ideas of exactly what church should look like inside of these parameters. So the question is, what should church look look like? What should you expect from a church? What should you expect from a church? Now take a moment right now, just inside of your mind, answer that question to yourself. What are your expectancies of a church? Why did you come here this morning? If you were to go to another church, anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the world, what would be your Expectancies of that church. What is your framework? Now, if I was begin to ask all of you what your expectations are, we would have all different types of answers. Well, I expect this, and I want this, and this, and this, and this. And lo and behold, somebody would get neglected because, oh, we don't do that here, or we have this, but we don't have this. And the thing is, we go into church with these certain amount of expectations, and we find ourselves frustrated when they're not met. Kind of like marriage. You went into marriage thinking, man, she's going to wake up every morning and look just like she did on the wedding day. (laughs) Oh, it got quiet. (laughs) Her hair is just going to be perfect and makeup and everything. And she went into the marriage thinking, oh, yes, that bathroom is always going to smell like roses. (laughs) All these different expectations, except for you got married and all of those expectations fell apart. And you're like, what did I get myself into? And so it's a very good thing to know exactly what is expected. Have some reali- realistic ideas. And so the question this morning is, well, what, does, what is the purpose of the church? What should we expect from a church? What does God expect from us? So let's answer that. Exodus. Exodus. It won't be on the screen. Exodus chapter 40. Moses constructing the tabernacle in the wilderness. 40 and verse 38. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the place. And Moses was not able to enter because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the place. What is the very first thing that we expect when we come to church? That God would fill the place. Number one thing, whether it be this church, whether you go to another church, whether you go to a church on the other side of the world, that God would fill the place. I came here this morning to meet God. Number one thing, you should expect to meet God. Number two, Leviticus 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord which you shall proclaim these are my feast, And for the next few chapters, the Lord begins to instruct him on the feast. They begin to instruct the priest on how worship is to be conducted inside the tabernacle. What should you expect from church? You should expect to meet God. You should expect to a place where you can worship God, where you can worship and you could pray, where we can gather together and worship the one who we call our creator. The next one, Leviticus again. And chapter 23. I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1. I'm getting them mixed up here. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering, and then for the next few chapters, I think the next seven chapters, the Lord teaches the children of Israel how they are supposed to sacrifice at the temple. When you come to church, you should come prepared to meet God. You should come prepared to worship God. You should come prepared to give your sacrifice. And when I say sacrifice, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about sacrificing of your talents, of the giftings that God's giving you, of the, your time. We give a sacrifice of praise. All these different ways in which God teaches us here how to give sacrifice and to meet him, to worship him, to give sacrifice. And number four, Leviticus 10 and verse 11. And here, God is instructing the priest on how priestly ministry should go inside of the tabernacle. 10 and 11. That you may teach the children of Israel all the statues which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. What should you expect? You should expect to learn something. You should expect to meet God. You should expect... To be able to worship and pray. You should, be able, you should expect to give sacrifices and to learn to know him more. To know him more. These are four things that you should expect of every church. That you walk in those things, in that church, and it doesn't matter if they have the right kids' ministry. It doesn't matter if they have the right men's ministry. It doesn't matter if they have the right program. It doesn't matter if they do this right or that wrong or this right or that. These are four elements that if you're missing any one of these elements, your parameters are being broken. And they're biblical. We should expect to meet God. We should expect to worship him, to give sacrifice, and to learn about him. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you got all of this out of the Old Testament. Isn't something changed here with the New Testament? Well, here's the thing. When you read the book of Acts, all of these things still take place in the New Testament church. In the New Testament church, everything is the same. They are meeting God. They are worshiping God and praying together. When they gather together, they are still offering up sacrifices in a different way, and they are still learning from the priest about God and how to do these things, how to worship him, how to get to know him better, and all these things. But the thing is, there's one thing that's ultimately changed here. See, in the Old Testament, everything was structured around the tabernacle. Everything was structured around the tent of meeting. If you wanted to meet God, this is where you went. You went to this place, and you went through these procedures, you offered this type of sacrifices, you went at this type of time of year, and you did these specific things to meet God, to know Him, to learn about Him, and to worship and also offer your sacrifices. Jesus came and fulfilled all of that. And it says that He tore the veil and made a way for all to enter in. So that way all of these things, no longer that we don't do them, but now it makes a way for everyone to do them in any place. Now we could go and meet God in our bedroom, at work, in this place, in that place. So he tore this veil and he made a way. What he was saying is everything that for so long we've done in here, inside of this framework, Inside of this structure called the tabernacle, we are now going to take that and do it out there. And so that's why he gathered his disciples, and that's why he sent them out. Because now everything that we do here, it was just for us, and this is how you know, now it's for everyone. And that is is the New Testament church. The New Testament church is an outworking of everything that was done on the inside that's now being done on the outside. What was done inside the tabernacle is now being taken place on the streets. And so we see Peter and James and John, and we see all the disciples doing all of these wonderful things out in the streets. The New Testament church takes all of it, And we're supposed to take it outside of these four walls. But what amazes me is how we have digressed. How we've taken everything that Jesus did and tried to flip it back how it used to be. Jesus tore the veil so we could go out and take it to the world. We're trying to sew up the veil and make it where we do everything inside these four walls. So to be a Christian means you come to church on Sundays and you participate with these things and you do this, everything inside of these four walls. And that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus intended for church. When you come to church, you come for these reasons. You come to meet God. You come to learn about him, to know him, to offer your sacrifices, to worship, and then to take everything that we do in here and to do it out there inside of your workplace, inside of your home, husbands with your wives, with your children, with your boss, with your employees, with your your next door neighbor. Because here's the reality of the situation. If what we're doing in here doesn't translate into what we're living out there, you are living a lie. And I know that's hard to say, but the reality is we're deceived. If the life that I live in here doesn't translate to the life that I live out there, something is inauthentic about my Christianity, about my faith, and about my walk with God. And so why is it? But here's the thing. We've been trained in over the last 100 years or so that all of the ministry is to take place right here. That if you want someone to get saved, this is how you do it. You invite them to church. But that's not the New Testament church. See, you come here to get equipped to do it out there. See, you don't need to bring them to me so that way I could tell them about Jesus. You tell them about Jesus. And then they come in here as a natural outflowing of what Jesus is doing in their lives. And they come here to learn more on how they could go out and do for others what has been done for them. It's really quiet in here this morning. I know this is kind of a hard message, and you're not really supposed to preach. And I wasn't supposed to preach this morning. I just wanted to talk to you. But these are the thoughts that are on my mind. This is the type of church that I want to produce. I don't want my measure of success to be how many people we could get inside these doors. I want my measure of success to be what I see Jesus doing in the New Testament. And Jesus was constantly sending people away. So what if our measure of success wasn't how many people can we get to come to church, but how many people can we get from church into their community? What if that was this type of church? What if our success rose and fell on all of us getting together and doing the work of the ministry? No longer it being this one-man show, or this or that, but all of us working together, what if my goal is to kick you out of church? <laughs> not in a bad way, not in because I were offended or whatever, but I want you to get out of church because you're playing golf with your next-door neighbor who doesn't know the Lord, and this is the only time that he has, and on that golf course, you're going to tell him about Jesus. So you're not just going to play golf with him, but you're going to take a moment, and you're going to tell him about the love of God and what he's done for your life. Miss church for that. Don't come. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you see the flip in the philosophy here? I don't want this kind of, you know what I'm saying? I can't even put it into words. I want something different. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Could it be that we've desired to save our lives? Because what Jesus is saying here is to follow me, you've got to come to the end of yourself and take one more step. Where God, if you don't show up, I can't do it without you. The fact of the matter is, there's lots of churches operating today that don't need God. That can do it on talent and skill. And I could get up here and I could preach a really cool message. Chris could play the keyboards and... I don't want to be a part of that type of church. I would rather everything fall apart and let God take control and let him do something that's a little scary. But okay, God. Your will, your way. Could it be that we've desired to save our lives? Could it be that we're just f- nice and comfortable with the familiar? We're comfortable with the framework that we've set What if we got comfortable with the framework that God set? It takes a step of faith. It takes, uh, in the vineyard there's this kind of famous quote that says, how do you spell faith? It's spelled like this, R-I-S-K. How do you spell faith? R-I-S-K, risk. It takes a step. It takes a risk. I want that to be the foundation of this church. Um, I heard a story not too long ago about uh, eagles. And I, I, I love eagles. I think that they're just beautiful, beautiful creatures. And um, I heard a story about the moping eagle. Uh, it's about an eagle that is doing what it's not designed to do. They'll go down into the low places and see eagles only feed on things that are alive. But there are rare instances where eagles will go and they will feed on something that's already dead. But when they do this, they put their feet on the ground and they begin to walk around. And their feet aren't designed for certain uh, terrains. And so what happens is as they're walking around feeding on these dead things, they begin to form calluses on their feet. And it's not long before they really lose their ability to fly, where you see all these beautiful creatures that should be flying in high places that are now in low places and have lost their ability. Could it be that sometimes we, like those eagles, have gone down to places that we shouldn't have been? Fed on things that we shouldn't have fed on and formed some calluses over our hearts. And when we're intended to fly, we find ourselves walking. When we were intended to take on giants, we're not. We're not like David. We're not standing out and throwing stones against the guy that's three times bigger than us. We're not taking that step of faith, we're not taking that risk. I'd like to read you a story about losing purpose, and it comes from the book Radical, uh, author David Platt. And put the picture of the ship on the screen, please. In the late 1940s, the U.S. government commissioned William Gibbs to work with the United States lines of construction, an $80 million troop carrier for the Navy. The purpose was designed to design a ship that could speedily carry 15,000 troops during times of war. In 1952, construction of the SS United States was complete. The ship could travel for 44 knots, about 51 miles per, n- per hour, and she could steam 10,000 miles without stopping for fuel or supplies. She could outrun any other ship and traveled nonstop anywhere in the world in less than 10 days the ss united states was the fastest and most reliable troop carrier in the entire world the only catch is this she never carried any troops at least not in any official capacity the ship was put on standby once during the cuban missi- m- cuban missile crisis in 1962 But otherwise, she was never used in all her capacity by the U.S. Navy. Instead, the SS United States became a luxury liner for presidents, heads of states, and a variety of other celebrities who traveled on her during her 70 years of service. As a luxury liner, she couldn't carry 15,000 people. Instead, she could house just under 2,000 passengers the passengers could enjoy the luxuries of 695 staterooms, four dining rooms, three bars, two theaters, five acres of open decks with a heated pool, 19 elevators, and the comfort of the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship. Instead of a vessel used for battle during wartime, the SS United States became the means of indulgence for wealthy patrons who desired to coast peacefully across the Atlantic. Things look radically different on a luxury liner than they do on a troop carrier. The faces of soldiers preparing for battle and those of the patrons enjoying their drinks are radically different. The, and the pace at which the troop carrier moves is, net, uh, is nest much faster as a troop carrier than it is as a luxury liner. After all, the troop carrier has an urgent task to accomplish. The luxury liner, on the other hand, is free to casually enjoy the trip. Could it be that in some ways we are just like that ship? intended for one purpose but in the midst of it all lost its way uh, Isaiah 40:31 says this But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk And not faint. I think, and I want to be a part of a church that takes a risk, that does exactly what Jesus says that we can do. I want to be a part of a church that's not afraid to take the land that's promised to us, to take a risk even if it means failure. Roosevelt said this far better to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by defeat, than to rank with those poor souls who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live their lives in the great twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. I don't want to get to the end of my life and not know those joys of victory or defeat. I have a vision for being a part of a church church that takes a step of faith, that leans on Jesus and simply follows him. Things that I know down deep, deep in my core about me. And if you're going to be a part of this church, these are going to be some things that rub off on you. And one of those things that is deep, deep down in me that you cannot convince me otherwise is this, is that God is good. To the very inner part of me. God is good. And that means God is good when things are good, and God is good when things are bad. When things happen that I don't understand, and everything in my life goes wrong, God is still good. And if you're going to be a part of this church, you, I guarantee that will rub off on you. You are going to learn to go through the hard times and stand firm in your faith and know that God is good. And the things that used to trip you up before aren't going to trip you up anymore because you have a firm foundation in knowing that God is good. And the next thing that's inside of me that you cannot convince me otherwise is that God works all things for the good of those that believe. And so if you're going to be a part of this church, you're going to come to the realization that though I may not understand it, though this is, this is happening, and I don't see how any good could come from this, God works all things. And though I may not have any specific answers for you of why you went through this tragedy or why you're experiencing this heartache, and so you know your questions might not even be answered till heaven, but God works all things all things so in the midst of it in the midst of your trials in the midst of your tribulations in the midst of everything and all of the questions that you don't understand God works all things and he is good I want to be a part of a church that trusts him I want to be a part of a church that knows what it's like to live life and life more abundant and sometimes that means going through the hard things I want to know what it's like to be David and stand face to face with the giant and throw the rock anyway. I want to know what it's like to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, you know what, if I go into this fire and if I get burned up, it's okay because God is good. And if I go through this fire and I walk out, it's okay because God is good. I have a vision to produce a church that's not just full of people but a church that's full of disciples because a disciple goes. A disciple takes Christ to the workplace. Disciples work together, they gather together, they pray together, they sacrifice together. But you know what the best thing about disciples and what they do is they change the world together. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www. CoastalVineyard.org